Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Choose Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, and a thousand other ways to spew your bile across people you never met. Hello and welcome to Unequal Sequel. I am Dave and I'm one of the hosts of this amazing podcast. I'm Rich and I'm the other host of this amazing podcast. Think of me as Hal to Dave's Dave. I'm a malevolent, malfunctioning AI and he's called Dave. Again, brilliant. <laughs> the premise of Unequal Sequel is very simple. We ask our guests their best ever sequel, worst ever sequel and finally their dream sequel. And of course we also talk about a lot of other movie based stuff and sometimes not even movie based stuff because we like a chat really. And we should also point out we do drop spoilers for movies so if you've seen one of the films that is mentioned please just move along there's nothing to see here. Most of the films we spoil are very old. So you you haven't had an opportunity to watch them. It's your own fault. <laughs> one of them today is a newer one. Yeah, that's true. Sorry, I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> On today's episode, we are joined by Layla Latif. Layla is a journalist, a film critic, and a writer. She has written for Little White Lies. She's written for Total Film, and yeah, she's brilliant. We are very excited to sit down with Layla and chat all things sequels with her. These are Layla Latif's Unequal Sequels. Enjoy. Do you remember the first sequel you got excited about? Uh, yeah, I think because I'm a horror nerd. So the one that I was really excited about was Scream 2. I think that came out when I was a teenager and I definitely wasn't old enough to see it, but there was kind of a cinema not too far away where they didn't care that much. So long as you weren't like obviously eight, you could basically get in to see a 15. <laughs> and I loved Scream so much as a kid. Uh, my parents had it on um, VHS back then, kind of showing my age. Um, and they were always, they didn't supervise their VHSs that well. So I watched that probably when I was like something nine or something. And I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. And then when Scream 2 came out to go and actually see that in the cinema. And I think it holds up. I think it's a great sequel and a great commentary on what the horror sequel can be. Um, and yeah, that was, that was lived up to my expectations. Even if I was still devastated that Randy dies. Still haven't got over that, to be honest. I haven't got over that either. <laughs> we had to watch that in series one, didn't we? It was somebody's yeah. favourite sequel. 
and uh, and yeah, I'm not over that death. That's quite that's a that's a horrible way to go as well. The blood dripping out the bottom of the van and yeah, maybe sad. Jason Kennedy turned out to be not that great a guy, so that's some comfort. <laughs> oh really? I didn't know that. I'm not very up on on actual events other than other than what happens in movies. I don't know about the real world. Well, spare yourself. Don't find yeah, out. Don't go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Probably with uh, Randy dying, I feel like that I am Randy. So that would be me dying and probably how I would die, to be honest. Horribly. <laughs> yeah. No, imagine that. being a black person and being a horror fan. You just see yourself get kicked off first every time. Like, if you're, you're lucky if you meet them, you get into the second act. That's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, can't argue that. So did you go and see Scream 2 by yourself or did you have friends or parents? No, totally by myself. I've always been a big proponent of going to the cinema by myself. Um, I just, I don't really understand why anyone thinks of it as like a social occasion. I've always just gone, don't want to share my popcorn with anyone. Actually, after a film ends, I quite like to have like 10 minutes to kind of sit with my thoughts in it rather than having a chat. So yeah, no, my preference is to go by myself. It's actually not great for my husband because he'll like purposefully find that I've gone to go and see something he'd quite like to see without him. But just because, you know, I'd, I'd rather it was that way. <laughs> I'm exactly the same. I love going to see films on my own. And it's worked out quite well for me because my wife doesn't really like going to the cinema. So she will happily just let me go off on my own to go and watch a film and, yeah, just, you know, laugh at me, <laughs> essentially, for being a loner and going to the cinema on my own. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> something you don't need a, a, another person to do. I mean, it's nice if they're there. No, actually, quite... it's less nice if it's there. there. Yeah, <laughs> I actually quite like out. alone time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So trying to take your snacks. So a first date to a cinema would be your nightmare. It would, because I think also you kind of have, to, you know, on a first date, you kind of have to put your first foot forward, you know, like your best self forward. And the fact that I don't share food <laughs> and the fact that like I've got quite a dark sense of humour. So often I'll find myself in a cinema and something quite nasty will happen. I'll, I'll be like the only person laughing. Yeah, so I think that's that's the side of me. You've got to keep covered up to like at least date 25. <laughs> the only dates I've ever had in cinemas have gone quite badly. Mm, me too. When I was a lot younger, I took a girl to see uh, Titanic at the cinema, and uh, she started crying at the point where they're having sex in the car, and it gets all steamy. And I was like, "This is odd," and and I just I said probably a little too loudly, "Are you crying?" <laughs> and, well, yeah that, it wasn't a good thing to yeah. say at that point and I also decided that I probably wasn't going to go out with someone again when I took them to a film they talked all the way through it I was like no no no, no more dates this is we're, we're done what film was that it wasn't even a good film I don't think Dave it was like Shark Tale or something ridiculous but like <laughs> even so I was like you know can't, can't, can't be doing with it can't be having someone going oh oh look at that oh I was like no no, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we can talk about Scream 2. Are you, do you like the sequels? The three, four? Are you looking forward to the new uh, one? Three, three's crap. Four, I'm a diehard fan of. Because I think oh, really? four is actually incredibly clever. Like that whole thing where it kind of flips on its head at the end and being like, oh, this is a commentary on the remake. <laughs> and like diminishing returns of a single franchise I was like wow this is a dark self-examination that Wes Anderson um, not Wes Anderson Wes Craven <laughs> I'd watch that though I, I'd watch that too yeah yeah no I think it's, I think it's really a lot cleverer than it 
needed to be, which I think is also what I liked about Scream 2, to be honest. Well, and what about three, the new I one? I don't know what happened. They just, I don't know, just didn't bother. It's just rubbish, isn't it? Um, and what about the new one? Looking forward to that? I am. Are you worried? I'm, uh, yeah, I'm worried because I, I kind of, if we've sort of examined sequels, remakes, what the hell else is there to do? Like, yeah. I think a lot of these kind of horror franchises, because I guess because they're quite cheap to make, like they do like the sort of empty commerce of it all really does come into it. But, you know, I've been pleasantly surprised by the Candyman and Halloween ones recently. So maybe maybe there's a kind of some life in the old gal yet. And is it also called Scream? And the original is called Scream? I think it's called Scream, but like one of the letters is a five. Clever. Oh, yeah. genius. <laughs> okay, like the band Five. <laughs> I guess I guess the A or the, or the S. Must be the S, right? Must be the S. Yeah. <laughs> what is your best sequel ever? Uh, best sequel ever is Before Sunset, which is the Richard Linklater sequel, which was nine years after his film Before Sunrise. And it's quite funny. I did. I I found when I was kind of thinking about this question that like very few of my favorite films are sequels or have sequels. I, I think probably because you know I, I like quite a lot of kind of art house and world cinema stuff where nobody's made any money from their original film so there's no desire to make a sequel but this one um I was very pleased to remember because I fucking love this film and I watched it again last night hadn't seen it for a while and like I was almost like on the verge of tears the entire way through because I just thought it was so beautiful and moving and I was with my husband and it was doing absolutely nothing for him and it was like a real moment about like I'm sort of seeing the perfect relationship and then like asking some big questions about my own <laughs> like you can see what I think of as being the ultimate expression of like romantic love and soulmate them and like not have anything but yeah there's that that's not for us to unravel in this <laughs> podcast, but my God, this film is just absolutely wonderful. What did you guys think? I, I'd never heard of the of the trilogy before, and when I, I kind of read the bio about it, I thought, I I don't think I'm going to like this. And I put it on, and about about ten minutes in, I thought, I love this film. I I I really loved it. Like I I love how it's kind of dropping you in someone else's conversation. I like quite like to people watch and I'm quite nosy, I guess. And I feel like I'm just sat in someone else's conversation because it's just the two of them. Really? And also it kind of felt quite quite personal. You know, you could think about kind of romantic relationships you've had and that what would you say to people if you go if you went back. It just it was beautiful. Like you said, it, I I really really enjoyed it. I'm so glad we we did this podcast so I could get to watch it. Like there are there haven't been many films where I've gone, "Do you know what? I'm so happy I watched that film." But I really am. I'm really happy and I need to go back and watch the first one and the third one now. I've never seen the third one. I've seen the first one years ago and this is the first time I watched this one. Yeah, I love it. It's so good. I love talky films like this. I agree with Rich. It makes you think about your past a lot that, you know, I wasn't quite ready to do. I, I'm not a massive R- Richard Linklater film. Are you a big Rich- Richard Linklater fan? Yeah, I like um, Boyhood very much. I find some of his ones a bit kind of overly American, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. I feel like this is almost so specific that if you didn't 
live in Texas at one point, a lot of it's kind of going over my head, which I think is why perhaps the Before Trilogy are my favourite of his, because you've got that voice of Celine that's sort of slightly ripping apart and teasing the Americanness of it all. But yeah, I mean, like, it, it's just, it sounds like the most boring thing on paper, isn't mm. it? It's just two people that met each other one night, haven't seen each other for nine years, and it just plays out in real time. A single conversation of a quiz was like 80 minutes, and, and that's it. <laughs> and uh, kind of, yeah, but I think it's just, I mean, I find so much kind of stuff that's sold to us as being romantic as just being like schmaltzy nonsense, and I'm not a yeah, big yeah. rom-com person. And like, this just seems so real to me mm. and even like they don't overdo it there's no big swooning kiss there's like there's just a moment in a taxi where she sort of reaches out to almost touch his hair but doesn't and it's just like that level of restraint and like there's no massive declaration of love but it's just unspoken and it's subtle and it's just like what if you know I think we've all had instances where we've kind of run into someone from our past and like the idea and you know build people up in your head don't you and you romanticize them and you kind of sometimes and then often when you meet them it's a bit awkward and a bit weird but if you just imagine that moment and then actually like oh no fuck we're soulmates mm. <laughs> <laughs> actually it's perfect and I love that they're lying to each other so much at the beginning and it's yeah, kind of yeah. slowly unschooled because that felt very real to me as well I love this film do you have a favorite scene I think it's the moment where they're coming off the walkway and they go on to, they start right at going down the river and she admits that she knows that he's married and that she admits that she's in a relationship because you see them just sort of both like stiffen up yeah. and kind of like having to acknowledge that this isn't going to be easy. Yeah. 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 Had you seen the previous one before you watched this one and were you waiting for this one when it came out in 2000? Yeah, Ooh. no, the previous one was one of those VHSs. That yeah. was lying around and I think I'm about 10 years younger than the subjects of the film so I was always kind of one generation behind where they were so I was kind of in my late teens I think when I watched um, Before Sunset and basically probably like 10 when I watched um, Before Sunrise and so it just always seemed like if you, if you watch the first one it's so kind of like that perfectly romantic and it's not like this one it's set over many many hours not just 80 minutes and kind of this perfect night that comes together and this tragic ending because they meet on the train and then they get stuck there for a night uh, and they know in the evening that the, in the morning they're going to part ways and never see each other again and they agree like oh let's spend the evening together but on the understanding that we will never see each other again we won't exchange numbers we won't attempt to do it then, it, then it's just at the last second they decide to meet back together in a year's mm. time, which we discover in this one, they didn't. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the first one is much more kind of idealistic kind of teenagers and like those first feelings. This felt much more kind of, and I think it's a wonderful film, but this felt much more kind of real and honest and actually say something profound. Because also when you're like 19, you fall in love with anyone. <laughs> and I think they've got that sense as adults. Like, oh, that probably wasn't something, but, you know, but then it was. I've read a story about where sort of the inspiration for this, for this second one came from, which is, um, so Jesse kind of admits that he writes the book, hoping that Celine will kind of read it and, and come back to him. And apparently Richard Linklater made this second film because there was a, he based the first film on a, a girl called Amy that he met and they spent the night together like just talking and walking and he made this second film hoping that she would get back in contact with him but she didn't 
and then a friend of hers when they were making when he was making before midnight just starting to shoot before midnight i guess he must have done some press to say it was happening a friend of amy's got in touch with him to say that she'd she'd died in a motorcycle accident just before the second film was released and oh, so fair. never kind of got you know got that message to kind of contact him it's really quite it's quite quite poignant i think Oh God! <laughs> Sorry, to bring the mood down. Who <laughs> seems like a sensitive man? I don't know how to bounce back from that. So, what, what, did it wasn't in Paris or Vienna that, that they're meeting? So the first one's Vienna. Yeah, yeah, but in real life, his his meeting with Amy. Um, I don't know. Philadelphia, it says. Oh, okay. On, on not the, quite as romantic the, as the article Paris. I read, it was like Philadelphia. It's not not as romantic as Paris, I don't think. It did make me fall in love with Paris again. I went there kind of on my honeymoon, and I loved it. And I was just walking around the streets, like, oh, I want to go back there. That'd be nice. I know. It, it makes it look so like scenic, and then you just realise sometimes part of the Paris is quite filthy and dirty, and there's lots of rats. And that's just not me watching Ratatouille. That's me seeing lots of rats. <laughs> Even the sort of grim bits of Paris are kind of amazing. Like when they go to her apartment, I mean, obviously she works for a charity. She's not got a lot of money and it's a very like walls and the corridors are all peeling. But then it's like still so gorgeous. Like the fact yeah. that just those the beautiful French people having a little party in the courtyard and her apartment even though it's a studio it's somehow so chic just like random bits and bobs everywhere and there's like this like chinese lantern and i think she's just got like a stack of books for a coffee table and stuff but it's oh she has yeah <laughs> unbelievably cool so were you looking forward to the, the other sequel before midnight yes yes definitely i don't it's i mean it's great i do love before midnight it's a little bit it's sort of a film that i had Maya just as much as the others but I don't love it in quite the same way because it's a little bit like they've been together for almost 10 years they've got kids he's got issues because his son that he talked about in this film you know spends the summers with them but it's not the same he lives in Europe and his kids back in America there's a suggestion there's been a bit of infidelity and you know like they, they are they're together and they're happy and they're in love but it's not I think there's just something about this one because it's all like the potential mm. is just all going to be there and like that's sort of the best part of so many relationships that bit where you're just like oh wow no this is really something you're just finding out about each other and it's like all so easy and effortless and fun and yes before the problem. and you're both clearly as into it as the other person <laughs> which is <laughs> rare <laughs> yeah What's great about this film is it's all it's like eighty minutes long as well, which is just yeah. oh, not not enough films that are under that ninety minute mark for me. Definitely it's just not. I, was, I was happily surprised, and the script's so good, it's so tight, and the the shots, the the one takes, it's just stunning. Really, thank you for making us watch it. Absolute pleasure. It, it was great, Rich. Did you enjoy watching it? Like you, yeah, you said, absolutely. you loved it. Yeah, you got his favorite part. I really did. I, I don't know. I think I kind of because it's because it's one conversation. It almost feels like it's one long scene. Mm. Like I, it's hard to differentiate differentiate parts from from it. I think it's. I just I just love all of it really. I think I think I, I like the the bit where they where they kind of realise that they that that uh, that Celine kind of um, admits that she has she does remember a bit more than she was letting on kind of thing about there. You know I think that's a nice thing that yeah she's, you know, she's been cool. a bit guarded and then she kind of lets that slip a little bit and that's that's nice. And it's I don't really like Ethan Hawke very much 
and that kind of I don't know kind of put me off the film a little just because I, I and I don't know what it is I don't like about him I can't put my finger on it but but watching it I, I almost kind of found him fine <laughs> I guess like, <laughs> like this is high praise <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is quite high praise because normally I just avoid him a little bit but you know no I did I really enjoyed it I really liked it it's written so well and so tightly mm. shot and the steady cam work is really great you know the, the, all those moving shots where you know for a fact that there's a, there's a cameraman walking backwards through Paris to make those shots happen um, and uh, yeah I just really love it I really liked it and it kind of made me think about like like my first love where when she was from a different country and ended up going back to back there and you know what would happen if we met again i'm happily married with with children that's not going to happen um, but you know what you know imagining what would happen you know what if we if we met again and what conversations we'd have yeah, it's the yeah. interesting one. Yeah, no, nice. I'm fully obsessed with my husband, but like I have to say, if my first love appeared, and he said, "You know what? I love the film before sunset." I'd have to have, I'd have a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've all got that. I mean, like, have I made the right choice here? <laughs> yeah, with my wife, I was like, "We have to sit down and watch Star Wars," and you have to sort of kind of like it. And she, luckily, she did. And she's watched Lord of the Rings now and liked that, and liked a few other of my my films, but not all of them, which is uh, annoying. Plus, my wife is Canadian, so she is from she is from another country, and we we had that kind of walk around London when we one of our first dates around the South Bank. It kind of remi- reminded me of that. Uh, just That's getting to my know second other. date with my husband was a walk down the South Bank. It, that is a great date. Don't go it's to the a cinema, great go date. to the South Bank. <laughs> then we ended up at a restaurant, and we said, "Can we have some food?" And they said, "No," because the kitchen was on fire. But they can do cocktails. <laughs> We had cocktails while the kitchen was on fire, I guess, but it was cracking. Good first day. Well, obviously, we're now married. What is the most disappointing sequel? So one you really built up in your head, you thought you were going to look forward to it, and then you came out of it, and you're like, oh. So not the worst, the most disappointing. God, is it really boring to say The Phantom Menace? Because I think the thing with The Phantom Menace is that, like, it's not even probably that it's most the most disappointing or the worst or anything like that it's just I so remember being so hyped and so kind of pumped on adrenaline I went to the Odeon Leicester Square with my family to watch it on like the biggest screen possible and it was like day after it opened and we were all so excited and coming out and just having this moment of that was great wait a second no it wasn't (laughs) 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 I'm like like I just remember that feeling hitting me like a ton of bricks yeah just when you realise films can be rubbish. Yeah, I and that, that like actually you can just get bored up into the hype even whilst you're watching it and then it just takes a second where you're just like, oh, fuck, no. That, that wasn't very good, yeah. No. At what point in the film did you realise that? Was it at the end when you... After, outside, when I was like walking to the tube. <laughs> did she like try and check with everyone? Like, did you think it was good? Did you think it was good? Yeah, it was almost like... You know, like people just dropping like flies, adrenaline wise. Yeah, yeah. It's just like slowly, one by one, people just be like, oh. <laughs> because, you know, it's the Leicester Square and it's the, you know, it was so exciting. Star Wars. Like, it takes a second for that to kind of wear off. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's been, there's been worse, but I can't remember having a feeling quite as like, such a solid moment of disappointment of just like Jesus Christ because normally I mean something like I don't know the Matrix too because I love the Matrix like okay it was 
it wasn't all bad and there were kind of peaks and troughs within it and you know and I, I would say net good as a film um but like yeah Phantom Menace were and 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 that was you know such a long long build-up because you know, I don't know if you guys remember but like the, the sort of rumors went on for so so long in like the early days of the internet and forums mm. about what was going to happen and what wasn't and this announcement and that announcement and like the frigging publicity and the posters and the ad it just went on for absolutely ages so they kind of they just they had all the agreements just to disappoint you as much as humanly possible yeah we were talking the other day how long it took to download the phantom menace trailer on the internet back then and the wait <laughs> the loading bar of waiting for it to download to watch it over and over again and then it was just rubbish there's one of my favorite things I've ever listened to on NPR is the comedian, I think he's called John Hodgman, has this whole thing that in order to cope with his father's death, he's writing a screenplay over and over again. And the screenplay is just him trying to figure out how to fix the Phantom Menace. And like that's how he's get, processing his grief and like dealing with this terrible terminal illness. It's just figuring out ways that you can, if you took Jar Jar Binks and replaced him with this character, and if you move this person's motivation, you edited it out that. And I just like, love that idea of like, that, that somebody at least has managed to get something super valuable out of it. Yeah. Something good has come out of The Phantom Menace, because I think that's the best answer we've had on this podcast. I think that's just yeah. the perfect answer for the disappointment. I could genuinely feel your disappointment from here. <laughs> and you instantly knew it. People sometimes have to think about it. You're like, no, I remember this crushing disappointment. <laughs> yeah, and I think I was, it's almost like a coming-of-age story because I would have been about what, like 11 or something. I feel that's a time where a lot of your like illusions about the world have been taken away from you. <laughs> and it's like culminated. In like, yeah. Like, oh, and Star Wars is bad now. <laughs> oh man i think we're about the same age because i remember that kind of realization and then oh i was i wasn't well for the next couple of days Uh, what is your worst sequel train spotting 2 is my worst sequel and one that i was very surprised to find out currently sits at i think 83 percent on rotten tomatoes does it the proof that film criticism is broken Okay, first question is, why do you hate it? I think, so generally when we have the sequel, it kind of has to have a reason to exist. It's sort of pushing the the story further. We're doing something with the characters. And like, A, we kind of, you know, find these characters and in the 20 years that passed, they basically might have all as well be sitting in a fridge. Like they haven't really developed in any like significant way from um, the end of the previous train spotting. And then over the course of film, they just cycle right back to that point as well. And it takes everything that I loved about the first one, about how like cool and shocking and interesting and new it was. And it just recycles it in this way that is so stale and depressing. And I just felt like I was watching a midlife crisis. And it was just, you know, and I think also like I'm about a bit like with Jesse and Celine I'm about like 10 years younger than these guys so they were always like you know when they were in their 20s doing heroin I was a teenager you know um not doing heroin (laughs) 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 and like and then like I was in like my late 20s or whatever when this came out and and it just was like one of the most like depressing testimonies of aging out of being cool that I've ever seen 
And yeah, very fearful for my future after watching this. I didn't even like, I'm normally pretty fastidious and I'll watch anything. And I like, I turned on this to watch it pre this podcast. And I think I made it about 15 minutes in and been like, no, the slow march towards death doesn't need to come for me today in terms of an existential crisis of train spotting because what the fuck is this film? Like truly the female characters are also just like embarrassingly shit. They completely waste Kelly McDonald. They kind of, and they make everybody like caricatures of themselves. Like I feel like Begbie and Spud were not cartoons in the first one, but it's like they forgot everything that made the first one good and they just regurgitated everything that kind of just makes it all a bit embarrassing. Like when Ewan McGregor does that speech where he's kind of recreating the like choose life bit, I actually wanted to like crawl out of my own skin. But um, my friend and my editor at Little White Lies, David Jenkins, is one of the few critics that hated Train Spotting 2. And he wrote it as a poem in the style of choose life. So if you ever have 10 minutes to ruminate further about why Train Spotting 2 is crap, Really recommend that poem. Oh, I enjoyed that. Is there a scene that you really hate or a character? Uh, is it yeah. particularly Renton that gets on your nerves or is it? Yeah, because Renton is just, you know, supposedly he's got a new personality uh, because he's been living in Amsterdam and living clean for all of these years. But they seem to have not developed that for any further than like he quite likes jogging. Mm. But the interactions that he has with the female character he's, she's eastern european i can't remember her name veronica but, uh, yeah veronica who's he's, he's trying to set the brothel up with i mean i've never seen two actors with less chemistry than them so every time they're on together particularly is it that big i mean it's been a, again i made it 20 minutes in before i was like i'm not doing this to myself again <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that and i also it's not his fault because time comes for us all but there was something also truly depressing about seeing Johnny Lee Miller, who as a teenager was just like, sick boy was just like the most unbelievably kind of, you know, you know who drew in your life, but incredibly gorgeous guy. Yeah. And him with the bleach blonde hair in his 40s, it just, oh God, it was just like watching a kind of man who's got like a paunch or something and he's still wearing his old clothes and they're too tight or something. Like it just doesn't look cool at all anymore. Yeah, so that was grim. <laughs> Rich, what do you think of it? I think I'm kind of with you on most of it. I don't think I hate it quite as much as you do, but I still find it really depressing. And I still find it kind of... Un- everyone unlikable. Like, literally everyone. I think Veronica's actually the only character I like, which I think is why I remember her name. But you're, you're right, she's chronically underused. Mm. And, yeah, I think, I think Renton is awful. He's an awful person. Like, I even like Begbie more than I like Renton at this point. It is depressing. And, you know, if that's, you know, if that's our slow trudge to middle age, then, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, I don't, I think for me it has little bits that that I like, and I, I almost kind of like Begbie's kind of, it feels a bit cartoonish, like you say, but I, I kind of like his kind of apology to his son. You know, I think that's kind of, I, I, I like that. And I kind of, I kind of like Spud's, kind of reveal of of writing his memoirs and his calling his memoirs train spotting i guess that kind of fits but at the i don't know it just felt a bit i just i think i watched it and went yeah you know it was a thing <laughs> i felt like everyone was in a different movie yeah 
But also, Dread Spot is a masterpiece. And like, even for it to go to mediocre, that's like. Yeah. We used to have a question on season one was what film is so perfect it didn't need a sequel? I think this film is pretty much the answer to that question. Because 96, is that when it came out, the first one? I think I must have been 11 or 12. And I was too young to see it. Yeah. I was born eighty five too, but yeah, it was yeah, Trainspot. Well. It was yeah. Well, Trainspot. <laughs> is that what we were? Thanks. So. Was a rat. But Trainspot was everywhere. Like the music was everywhere. It was always on TV. Even and the poster was everywhere. Even though I couldn't really see it, I've seen enough clips at that point. And I think I saw it, saw it a few years afterwards with my big brother, which is where I saw quite a few of my films. It was so cool, and this one was not. It's just really dull. And the first one was really funny, if I remember rightly. Like yeah. I remember laughing quite through a lot of Trainspot, and this one today I was just watching. I was like, "It's just oh, it's, it's a bit dull." To be honest, I'm really surprised about how many people like this film and how highly it like it. it all the criticism of it is, is quite high. You know, it's quite quite a lot of people, a lot of crit- critics praise it. It scores quite well. It didn't make you the know, money it thought just, it was going to make, so did it? Well, no, but uh, you know, I don't think it was going to make a lot of money. Really, was it? But, but hey, I think I don't know. It's weird. It was cri- more critically acclaimed than I would give a film like this credit for. To yeah. be honest, I think it makes me think: What am I missing? You know, is there something that I've I've missed out on? Because I was what fifteen, I think, when Train Spotting came out. Ah, oh, did so, you buy the soundtrack? Uh, yeah, of course, because everyone did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I, I loved it. It made it made Edinburgh look glamorous, and I'd not thought that before. So you know, it was like, yeah, it kind of it was great. It was they like it really and cool. chic. They were quite chic. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Also, transport is ageless. Like you watch it now, and it it kind of feel like it is today. But you put this one on, it will age quite quickly. I think. God, it's also about quite... it, given how cool it was, it is a miracle that we are not an entire generation of heroin addicts. <laughs> <laughs> and it shows you that, like, hey, you can make drugs look as cool as you can, apparently. <laughs> yeah. I think it made them look cool, but also really disturbing and horrible at the same time. But the like, music having was so to crawl good, through the filthy toilet, though, come on. Like, <laughs> Renton squeezing himself into a filthy toilet, that kind of, that's that, you know. I think oh, I I don't think I want heroin. Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It shows we watched it mindfully and we absorbed the themes. <laughs> I bet some people didn't. Well, was there meant to be a transporting free? Wasn't there? No. Was there a book originally? Yes, yeah, the called second porno. book's called Porno. But the second yeah. book I think is like ten years after the events, and this is like twenty, which yeah. maybe makes more sense why they haven't changed as much. I think mm. making it twenty probably worked against it. But also, I just don't understand how you can have a whole film that's a sequel. A, nobody's changed in the interim, and then at the end of the film, they're all exactly where they started, basically. Yeah. I didn't like how they made it like a twist at the end as well. So there is there there was a I don't know if it's a three, but there there's talking about a, like a Begbie spin-off, um, like based on another on, on um, one of the other books. I can't remember what the book was called. I'll be okay without that. I like Robert Carlyle. I don't know, I don't know what's wrong with me that I'm actually not I'm not averse to that. I'd give up. Really. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, tell me more, Rich. Tell me more about this. Well, because we've just been talking about how great train spotting was, and I was just like, surely they can't fuck it up twice. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, I don't think train spotting is a strict adaptation of porno, is it? It's kind no. of a very, a very, very loose one. 
I watched the special feature today and they wrote a script based on porno and then Danny Boyle read it and then went, that's shit. And they didn't even send it to the cast. And then John Hodge wrote another one, which apparently is based more on his life. And then right. he, Danny Boyle read that and was like, oh no, they'll do this one. And then sent it out to the cast and that's what, what got made. Okay. Um, that's a shame. Trainspot <laughs> is the only book, one of the only books that I've had to put down because I couldn't read it anymore because I couldn't actually understand what I was reading. It's yeah. written in Scottish. It's like James, I, I read one of his called Filth, and that was a real struggle to get yeah. through. Like the dialect stuff. I've seen the film. It's sort of it's pretty cool for like the first two chapters, but it's just a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I have kind of I have Scottish family, and I just kind of imagine it in yeah in the voices that I know. I guess. Okay. <laughs> I think that would help. Yeah. Yeah. Good for him for not compromising and trying to, you know. I, I do admire that, like, he's anyone, basically. I, I end up admiring them if they're a bit like, I don't care if you like me. This is my thing that I do. And, like, Evan Welsh is very like that. So I do think that's cool. Yeah. What What was your, uh, what would you have done if it was a train spotting two? What would your pitch been? Um, I think I probably would have at least set the whole thing in Amsterdam. Because then that would have kind of given more drugs yeah and like different drug culture yeah maybe. and we wouldn't have been kind of cycling through the same set pieces again and again um and like at least there would have been a bit more unfamiliarity i probably wouldn't have had begbie in it at all because <laughs> as much as i do like robert carlisle and i think actually he's kind of really the best thing in it it just doesn't make sense to me that it's been 20 years and he's still that pissed off about being cheated out of like what is it four grand? Four grand, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, sure, I would have just you know done something kind of maybe cool. Let's bring Kelly, way more Kelly McDonald because she's yeah. brilliant. Mm. And maybe something with like a cool business proposition from Sick Hoy and like you know something kind of going a bit much. And then like I don't know, just kind of take it out of its comfort zone, do something different with them, and have them like not be sort of. Just felt like they were all sitting and waiting for the sequel. I think you're right. Yeah. I think that would have been a better sequel. Thinking about it. Um, what did you think of the soundtrack though? That was quite good, right? Again, I only watched the first twenty minutes before I gave up. So this is. Um, I did, well, <laughs> actually, I have to tell you, I watched this in probably the worst circumstances it is possible. Let's hear it. So, do you guys know about a thing called baby cinema? Yes. No. Yes, yeah, when you take a baby. Yeah. So yeah. when you have a baby, your baby, not just an Well, technically, any baby. Um, but until they are the age of one, they're not, um, you know, BBFC laws don't apply to them because they're not considered to be able to perceive the screen. So I went, I had my daughter, I used to go to baby cinema all the time, just go and see absolutely everything because it was just great. Like, let's check this kid and go. And um, one Saturday, I was said to my husband, like, you know, you've got to come. This is amazing. You take the baby to the cinema and it's super cheap. And um, let's do it. So we all went to go see Train Spotting too, and it was a pretty packed cinema in like Holloway, I think. And everybody just kind of, I think, slightly forgetting how explicit it was, and forgetting that this had a real like sex worker element to it. Just feeling like really ashamed of themselves holding on to these babies. <laughs> Like, also, I think that's a moment when you've got a new book where you have a thing of you're like, wow, I'm getting old, I'm a grown up now. And watching this pile of shit film, like, really like making you feel like even 
worse about the passage of time. Like, yeah, no, it was it, ingredients for hatred. How did I not know this was a thing? You've I got a child. When my, yeah, when my son was little, my God, I would have, I would have loved that because he just never slept. Oh, it's great. So like, like, because even if they cry, you know, like we're all in together, and you're not allowed in without a baby. Ah, okay. So what is your what what is your baby's first when you say my first film was I saw at the cinema? What can your child say? Arrival, which is perfect. <laughs> so much better than mine or Richard's. Mine's Rescue was Down Under, I think. Mine's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was my first cinema re release. Yeah, yeah, the re release, not the original. I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> what sequel have you been most surprised with? So you were like going in, kind of got dragged in, kicking off screaming, or you got, you know, a commission to go and do the review and you're like, oh, it's going to be rubbish, but it turns out to be quite good. I'm trying to think, because I get assigned really random stuff sometimes because um, like a lot of the publication, I'm not kind of not getting the top tier of reviews. I get kind of a lot of the kind of weird sequels. Only <laughs> <laughs> surprised with me and Rich watched um, Psycho 2. We were surprised that was quite good. And the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 was quite interesting. I mean, it wasn't... funny. Yeah. Um, Hitman's, bodyguard, Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, I thought was better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, that's right. I saw that in... Um, I saw that at press screening and... Um... We were there. So do we. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did they also get you quite drunk? No. no. Well, they could have done, but I don't think we, we partook, did we? Like we, we, I think we had a drink, but we turned up uh, outside Leicester Square. This is our first time to a press screening after the pandemic and there was people holding guns to other people outside the police. Gorgeous Salma Hayek came in, didn't she? Yeah. Yes, I walked into her outside the toilet and I... We literally walked out of the toilets and Dave literally kind of walked into Salma Hayek (laughs) and then was like, ah! (laughs) I'm a bit of a Desperado fan, so I was just mumbling to myself. She's Uh, just unreal, isn't she? She's one of the only people that I'm happy as a billionaire. She's a billionaire, is she? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's married to a billionaire. Oh, okay. The guy who owns all the French, you know, all these Louis Vuitton and Gucci and stuff like that's her husband. She deserves it. Yeah, if anyone does, she does. She's brilliant. That's a good example, Rich. I I enjoyed that more than I thought I was going to enjoy it. Yeah, I Um, went to go see that with my uh, total film friend, uh, Jamie Graham. Who, uh, who actually also like I was I didn't love it, but he, he actually came out of it being like my expectations were so low that I actually really had a great time. <laughs> yeah, we came out going, did we really enjoy that, or is it just really nice to be out? <laughs> One of life's big questions. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I think I think we did enjoy it. I, I certainly enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. It's fun. I, you know, it's, it's Ryan Reynolds doing what it does in every single Ryan Reynolds film now. Um, I would say it's, and I'm not sure that I'm going to get the number right, but it's Saw 6. Right, which, which is the one. one so I think that Saw 6 is the one where Jigsaw takes on the American healthcare system and he puts a guy who's in charge of health insurance through a number of trials and like various people. And the whole thing is that then at the end, the family of the people who he and the American healthcare system have denied um, treatment to and died as a result because they wouldn't approve his insurance rating, get to decide whether or not he lives or dies. And it's brilliant. I haven't seen that one. I stopped. I think the last one I saw was the one when Jigsaw dies. 
Oh yeah, God. Oh, that pisses me off so much. Like you give a character terminal cancer and then you have someone stab them. I mean, really, like Chekhov wept. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, I, I don't think Rich. How many swords have you watched? Because you don't none. You're not, a worse. Not, not any of them. I'm I'm a massive worse, and I don't really do kind of. That's kind well, of then but six, it's not going to be you. <laughs> Unless someone picks it, then you have to watch it. Then I have to watch it. Yeah. So that's what's going to happen is someone's going to pick it, and then I'll have to watch it because I'm this weird completist. I'll probably then just be compelled to watch all of them. <laughs> a lot of no. them are secretly prequels. Oh, okay. Also, say Final Destination Five. Surprisingly great. A lot of people say that one. Yeah. I, I love it when there's a franchise where it's like really late down the line. You just like, because it's all often like diminishing return, diminishing returns. Like, oh, wow. I would even stand up for Halloween H2O. Not a great film. I great like that. Jamie Lee Curtis' performance, though. Yeah. That, that was the same year as like the Scream 2 era, wasn't it? Yeah. With the same age. I remember watching that on VH. Resurrection's the awful one, right? With Buster Rhymes. When he's like, trick or treat, motherfucker. I think and, so. And yeah. then has a fight with Michael Mars. So bad. But yeah, I mean, yeah, H2O, no masterpiece. But it's Josh Hartnett, George, Joseph it? Gordon-Levitt, isn't it? No, it's Josh Hartnett, isn't it? Oh, yes. No, you're right. It is Josh Hartnett. Isn't it? And Michelle Williams. It's That cast is stacked. And LL yeah. Cool J. Jamie Lee Curtis is freaking great in that movie. And, you know, so, yeah. I, I, I love a really late in life good Yeah. Enough. Is that the one where Michael Miles dies, gets his head cut off, but then they bring him back in them, but the one afterwards? Okay. And it's... <laughs> I, can't, I can't keep up with the Halloweens, what's canon and what's not anymore. Yeah, I just watched Halloween Kills a couple of weeks ago. It's... Is it good? It's as good as it can be. <laughs> Put that on the poster. <laughs> yeah. It's got to take place on the exact same night as the last film, so like half of them are like kind of... A lot of the characters are just in hospital, but all of it. Right. And it's, they already announced Halloween ends was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. So all the main players have to survive. So given that, pretty good. Okay. Rich, you going to watch that one? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I need to watch more horror films. I have to widen my genre. You know, I, I get that. I understand. Yeah, there's a lot but of good. I just, I just, there's just so many films to watch. And I'd much rather watch, like you know, like before before sunset than I would Halloween. So you know, it's just the kind of guy I am. <laughs> I don't blame you. Well, the first Halloween is very, very, very good. So yeah. I think you could also just kind of pretend there weren't any sequels. Just watch it. Oh, okay, and I'll just watch it for fun. It's very <laughs> scary, though. Actually, so maybe don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind scary so much. I don't mind like psychologically scary. It's just blood and gore and. I watched Hostel and I was like, I I'd never want to see a film like that again. Yeah, just like, but there's like, there's no yeah. gore in Halloween really. Okay, well, that's right. like, I mean, there's no gore in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it feels like there is because it's just all suggestion. And the sound mm. effects, what do it mean? Oh, the scream about the disabled guy and his whining really annoys me in that first film. But Halloween's music's great. That's what makes it great. John Carpenter's score. Well, what about the thing? Have you seen the thing? Does that count as gore? I've written the thing is great, Rich. You should see the thing. Oh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty I'm horrific bit. I'm just curious because it's not, it's a different type of gore, isn't it? Yeah, okay. Like the if fly, I suppose, is kind of technically a I've seen the fly and I like the fly is good. I like that. But then Jeff Goldblum's amazing in anything, I think. So I would take that. But 
<laughs> you've pulled the face there, Dave. <laughs> I was thinking Independence Day two there for a second. Oh, that's well. He still he he has very little to work with. I'm not blaming Jeff for Independence Day two. Okay, that's that's a thin script. Yes. <laughs> oh. Get that check. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that's what he thinks. What, what is, is your, your dream, dream sequel? sequel? Uh, so my dream sequel is uh, Small Axes, Red, White and Blue, which came out about a year and a half ago now. It's Steve McQueen from my favourite living director. Um, and he made uh, a film about the early life of a man called Leroy, Leroy Logan, who is the founder of the, I'm not sure, the, the Black Police Association. I'm not sure it was, but he, was, he became superintendent of the Metropolitan Police. He had this meteoric rise, having previously been a scientist. And his dad gets attacked by a racist group of police people. So he decides he's going to join the police and transform it from the way in. And um, I mean, I love all of the small acts films. Um, and when they were happening, I got invited to join this. I was writing about them, but I got invited to join this group, uh, which was like a community panel where we'd meet after kind of on Zoom, about like 50 people, anybody could come so long as they were black and British. And it was the idea that you'd have a space for you to have discussions about these films. And it was interesting because pretty much all of them had like a really good reception aside from Red, White and Blue where people just found it very like unsatisfying about like because it's a very strange film in many respects like it's like oh we're going to take this person that had this meteoric rise we're not going to show you any of that we're just going to show you how this messed up his relationship with his dad (laughs) and then also a little bit of the abuse that he's had and we're not going to show you any of his triumph any of his success, any of those sorts of things, we're just going to kind of, we're going to leave it on a slightly like sour note of, uh, of you know, sadness and dissatisfaction. And it's sort of, you know, they're at peace with one another, but it's still kind of fractured. And I love this film. I think it's a five-star film. Uh, I, I think that Steve McQueen's never made a bad film. I think like his worst film is four and a half stars. And I'd still say shame is okay. <laughs> It's funny because it was like, for me, I came into it absolutely loving it because I like unusual things and things that kind of, you know, play around with form and do unconventional stuff. And I think a lot of biopics are quite boring because they try and give you a conventional, like, you know, struggle and then triumph arc. Um, And so I liked that it didn't do that. Um, And it was really funny because loads of people in the forum were just like, we think the BBC didn't give... Steve McQueen enough money to finish this film. <laughs> I was like, guys, that's not how that's not how that works. But um, yeah. So then after that, I did find myself reading Leroy Logan's autobiography, and like the second half of his story is genuinely amazing. Like he does like have this incredible rise through the ranks, and then the Metropolitan Police come after him because they say that he's overcharged them eighty quid on a hotel bill and they spend I think five years and like hundreds of thousands of pounds just because it's a horribly racist institution trying to get this guy in the end it's discovered that he's actually got like two thousand pounds worth of unclaimed money rather than stuff that he's overclaimed on his lawyer is Sadiq Khan his representative in the Metropolitan Police was Cressida Dick who's now currently the superintendent at one point he becomes um, quite good friends with Princess Diana. He's very heavily involved in the cases of Damalona Taylor and Stephen Lawrence. 
Um, and then towards the end of the autobiography, he goes and he gets knighted by the queen and his dad comes with him. Uh, his dad, who we've kind of seen in the, in, in the original being very resistant to him and says that like, oh, I suppose it's a good thing after all that you join the police, which is the perfect ending to this story. So what I want <laughs> is in about 20 years time, but everybody's aged appropriately yeah. in that film. And I also yeah. think that it would make all those people at that forum very, very happy. God, that would be that would be such a good sequel to that film. It really, really would. I've nothing to say because it's perfect. <laughs> also, John Boyega I... and Steve McQueen are so good together. Yeah, John Boyega is great in this film. He's really good. I could, I could kind of feel his seething anger in places and his frustration at not being able to do the things he wants to do, and just that the. Oh, it it's just so good, but the that he yeah I th- I think I, I think he's the he was the perfect person to to be in this movie, and you know could because he has the the physique to carry it off, but also the kind of the emotional range to carry it off too, and it I think his his anger kind of tips out just once. There's just like one scene where it just kind of spills out, and but the, but he, the way he keeps it in. You know the way that, that that's all kept in, and that must have been awful. In, in thinking that's a, that's a real life thing, that must have been horrendous for him to to be in that situation. And also, on a slightly lighter note, the soundtrack is brilliant. Is. <laughs> There's a really nice story. Sorry, I keep going on, but I've kind of edited no, quite a lot of Stephen Croon research. But you know, it, it ends on this monologue where um, Steve just says to him that like, oh. Yeah, my father said to me, you know, you've got an education. If you want to, you have opportunities. If you then decide to go and dig a ditch, that's okay, because that's something that you've chosen to do. And that's actually something that Steve Toussaint's dad said to him about becoming an actor. And they really? and he told Steve McQueen about that. And they kept it in the film because he, Steve McQueen, becoming an artist, obviously, um, and uh, eventually a director, John Boyega becoming a, a, a actor, Steve Toussaint becoming an actor. They also had a very similar thing in their lives where they'd had to kind of tell their dads that they were going to do something that, that, you know, was not popular or something that their dads could understand. I mean, I know it's a bit different if you've been beaten up by the police and, you know, <laughs> this is not quite the same as you becoming an actor, but like, I, I love that they all had that connection to it. I think you can like yeah. feel it in that scene. Yeah. It's the first time I've watched it. I haven't watched any of the other small axe films, stupidly of me. Um, they're really, really good, Dave. Go, you, go and watch all five of them. Because no, I, I, I don't know how I missed them, to be honest. Um, and by the end of it, I was I thought they were going to have a little this is what he did with his life box. And I was quite disappointed that it didn't. So you telling me that he did all this other amazing stuff. I'm like, I'd like to see that now. Would you, you said you would wait 20 odd years, which so you would keep Boega in there as well and get uh, McQueen back? Definitely. So I think it's, 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 you know, God, I actually feel like I've done you guys a really nice thing. I've given you two less than 90 minute films. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a bit like with um, Jesse and, and, and uh, Celine, um, that I think it's, it's, it's also interesting to watch people age, isn't it? Right. Mm. And, their, and their previous selves and I think him and Steve Toussaint have got such a great dynamic I think it would need to be both of them again is that the dad sorry yeah he is amazing in this mm. I thought he was great 
yeah, it was a powerful bit of film. Are you a big fan of Steve McQueen? I'm guessing. Yeah, as the art, the films, the everything. Yeah. And I used to, um, before I was in film journalism, I used to be, I uh, had a catering company and he was one of my clients and also a very nice guy. He is, a, I've met him as well. He's very nice. Lovely. <laughs> uh, I, I was a runner when uh, at a place when he did Shame. That was fun. Uh, and I had to get him his dinner every day. And he likes dry Nando's. <laughs> That's a bit of fact for you. But when he used to see me in the street, he actually said hello. He was actually a nice person, which not everyone who were, um, came in there was. So I was like, yeah, I, I wouldn't was... bother. If I was that talented, I'd oh, be a it's... monster. And he's so polite. It's anyone that says their P's and Q's and thank you's to a little runner who just, yeah, brings them cups of coffee and tea and stuff. You're like, no, I like you. And Shane was not the easiest thing to work on. I imagine that working on that every day, it was, um, I remember we went and saw uh, all of us, like who worked at that place at that time, we went and saw it together because we hadn't seen the film in, you know, one long sitting. And it, we felt quite dirty afterwards when we were all sitting next to each other. Was, um, we're like, don't look anyone in the eye. <laughs> but um, yeah, what are the other small acts films? There's how many are there? Five. There's five in total. Sorry, do you want me to ask this? Or do you want? Later yeah, you, you seem you seem to were going. <laughs> so I watched them all on the BBC when they came out. So I think I, um, I saw it in a series link and and recorded it. So there's one about. Uh, the one that sort of sticks with me is the one that said there's one about a 12 year old boy and he gets put he essentially gets put into a school for kids with special needs essentially because he's dyslexic i think and he's he's i mean this this hits home to me because i have a little boy who has special special educational needs and and it's sort of like really kind of the way he's treated is awful you know he's an intelligent capable little boy who is just written off basically and put into the school where nobody teaches them. the teacher literally just just turns up and lets them does what they do what they want and they're ignored and you know it's about his kind of his mother's fight to for some justice all of these films are about fights for justice and mm. you know it's it, they're, they're films that anyone should watch to understand different people's fights for justice in this country um, because I think we forget that people have to have fought these fights and still fight these fights and these things go on. I think we put ourselves in our nice little comfortable bubbles and and forget that the that the country we live in isn't perfect and it needs work and you know I think that these films like this need to be watched and, and made. Oh, and I just remembered about the one about there's a, there's one called Lovers Rock which is all about kind of like the the music scene in the eighties. And I love that. I love the music. I love the kind of the the uh, the reemergence of like Northern Soul in the eighties. I really love that music. So that's a, that's a really good film as well. What are the other ones? There's the ma- the one about the mangrove, isn't there? The, yeah, mangrove. And then there's the one called Alex Wheatle that's um, oh yeah about the he's a young adult writer and he had a tough life in care and then he was involved in the Brixton riots and ends up in prison for a bit. And then there's um, Oh yeah, red, white, and blue. Yeah, that's five. Yeah. Mangrove, red, <laughs> white, and blue. Education with the twelve-year-old boy Alex Weasel and Lovers Rock. It's it, it didn't it win an Emmy for it's like they made it like one film or something. I think it didn't win that much. It kind of it think it won some stuff, but because it kind of wasn't film and wasn't television, I think yeah, it missed out on stuff. Like even when I think there was the Emmys and John Boyega was nominated for an Emmy for best guy in a TV show. 
I was there being like, I think this is one of the best performances for years, but like, I don't know that you could say this was a TV show. Like, no. because there's a skill to being an actor, being the same character in many, many episodes in a row. And I think if you come in and you do one 70 minute film, that's just a different thing. Yeah. They're definitely separate films. They're not, it, they're, they don't, there's no not continuity between them. Yeah, is probably like two hours long as well. That's the I, I did check because I watched this one and I thought, oh, I'll go back to the beginning. And I didn't have time to watch the 127 minutes. I was like, okay, I'll save that for. I think that one. But... And then there's Lovers Rock. And then I mean, they're all good. They're all good. You won't, you won't have a bad time with any of them. No, I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, you might have a slightly bad time thinking, thinking about, about, you know, uh, for me, I have a slightly bad time thinking, Jesus there are a lot of white people in these who are awful and <laughs> you know feeling that kind of like you know that kind of i'm a straight cis middle-aged white man who yeah. really needs to understand all this stuff goes on and and work a little bit harder to make sure my son understands all this stuff goes on too and doesn't repeat any of it that's why i love i think that's why i think lovers rock is such a special film because it's sort of to me, it's like an anti-suspense. Like, it's a night in which a lot of bad things almost happen. Like, there's a load of kind of racist hooligans on the street, but nothing kicks off. And there's a guy that kind of takes a girl and maybe might sexually assault her, but he doesn't. And like, you know, and, and then there's kind of fights that start, but don't. And it actually just ends up being a really great party. Which I know it sounds weird because hmm. they say like a, a rape does almost happen and it does, but like, it doesn't. <laughs> and everyone's fine and the party is just awesome and then everyone's super happy at the time but it's quite weird to watch it's a bit like the opposite of watching the, the thing where every bad thing that could happen does this is like every bad thing doesn't while still acknowledging that these things exist and i think it's very clever in that way yeah that's really clever a very very excellent man I and mean, i'm glad uh, you're in agreement with me that he's just as nice in person Hundred percent, yeah. Anyone who says hello to me on the street has got my. That's a low, low bar. Yeah, it's <laughs> a very low bar, Dave. <laughs> Lots of people are horrible. Well, like in that position. Thank you for talk- sharing those films with us. We really enjoyed them, and I'm going to go watch more of or smaller acts now, and I'm going to watch the other sunsets or sunrises. The befores—they're called the befores, aren't they? It's the before trilogy, Dave. And we might get another one. I think it's been about. 10 years since the last one, so we're new one. Really? Then it'll happen, but yeah, hopefully. Mm-hmm. So kind of, it doesn't, I think they're, they're currently like nine or 10 years apart, but there's no reason that one couldn't be 20 years down the line. Yeah. I like films that like do every 10 years for some reason. Um, you said earlier you liked Boyhood. I hated Boyhood. I hated it so much. Interesting. Can't, I can't stand it. Well, he's doing one with... Um, Beanie Fettelstein, I think, that's going to be a similar over 20 years, 30 years. If he makes it, I think when he even announced it, it was like, and we'll finish this when I'm 87. And I'm like, oh, God. Confident. <laughs> well, I like her as an actress. I didn't like the whoever the play in The Boy. I thought he was awful. I didn't want to follow his journey at all because he annoyed me. He's a child. I've not seen it. <laughs> but even when he gets it as an owl. He's it feels child. like you had your mind made up when he was a child. Yeah, you're right. Maybe I should. I've got it down here somewhere. <laughs> I do own it. I'll watch it again for you. Okay, I'll add that to this as well. <laughs> you sound so excited, Dave. <laughs> Have you watched it, Rich? I haven't seen it. No, I haven't seen it. It's a real slog. 
Is it? I know. I've heard lots of good stuff about it. <laughs> None You're of the only person I've heard. <laughs> yeah. You're the only person I've heard say bad things about it, Dave, so I'm not sure I, I believe you. <laughs> so what's so good about film where everyone can have an opinion? This um, is true. And they could all be wrong. Even if that does mean <laughs> Train Spotting 2 has 83%. Yeah, I can't get over that. Well, we were, we were doing something. Rich the other day did uh, something on a, a podcast about Kevin Smith films. And he found out the the new rebooted Jay and Silent Bob is at like 93% or something. Yeah, Ridiculous. 93% audience approval though oh, audience so critic critics it's the the biggest gap between audience and critics i've seen so the critics were like 55 percent, and then audience were like 93 um, percent like yeah. they're a crazy one for hereditary where it was like well that is different i think that was cinema score like when they take people's poll and it was like a d minus or something that's crazy it's great that's a really that's a really good film but i think I, audience I, score tends to just be about how much was this like what you expected it to be rather than how good it is yeah i don't understand rotten tomato and stuff are you on rotten tomato i am i'm a top critic on rotten are you (laughs) yeah i went to the uh the press screen of uh, train spotting 2 and it's the only tweet of mine that's got any traction really of what i wrote i was like like, it is what it is pretty much is what i wrote (laughs) (laughs) does what it's a thing it's a thing it's fine I feel I got insane traction um, with you recently from, was it the Venice Film Festival? Yeah. And I yeah. came out of that um, Spencer saying, and I just tweeted something like, wandering around Venice with my mask full of tears for Princess Diana. And like, I think all of these Kristen Stewart fans must have just been waiting, searching every iteration <laughs> of this yeah, yeah, track. Because yeah. within like five minutes, it had like 200 likes. And yeah. I had to take it down because I was worried that that meant that I was breaking a press in bunker. Oh, yeah. And they technically, uh, I was crying for Princess Diana, not for... The film. film. What was the film like, though? Yeah, it's really good. It's very weird. Okay. It's a bit like um, imagining Shining with Princess Diana in it. Okay. You like Jackie. Which, you know, oh, yeah, that's a bit weird Very well. unusual. But if you like that sort of... It's not, I mean, it's a bit like Red, White and Blue. It's just like not a conventional biopic at all. Yeah. But the I trailer like doesn't give that off, though. I saw it. I was watching Sonia. I was watching Respect when I saw that the other day. And the, tra- the trailer for Spencer makes it look quite run of the mill, to be honest. And I was like, I don't think it's going to be that because it's from the director of Jackie. So it's going to be a little bit weirder. Similar vibe to Jackie, but yeah, makes it look really awful to be a princess. And yeah, I mean, the, the definitely like Sandringham is like the Overlook Hotel. Oh, really? Mm. Okay. Yeah, I hope you like like but you know you don't like boyhood so who even knows what metric you're going I really, <laughs> yeah i've got a bit of a weird taste i think sometimes i like most other films i liked hereditary can't even say it midsummer i liked um so you didn't like like uh days and confused how do you feel about that one i don't like that I one right about it i find, find the lead guy in it kind of annoying but yeah i yeah. always feel like a dark cloud of film criticism i feel like i come out of these press screening and everyone's just like yeah that was so much fun and i was like no not for me <laughs> it's a no from me dog that's like me and you dave you're always the positive one you're normally the positive one and i'm normally like mm, this is not good <laughs> yeah. yeah unless i really hate something yeah when you really hate something you really hate it like men in black 2 like, i don't like I've... men in black 2 
Dave has a visceral re- visceral reaction to Men in Black too. <laughs> I really like Men in Black. That's why I was bitterly disappointed. Not just it's, oh, don't get me going. So those were Leila Latif's unequal sequels, and I really enjoyed that, Dave. And it was really nice. Like I think that's the furthest away our guest has ever been that we've recorded with. Yeah, it was amazing, right? Yeah, because she was international. In yeah, international. She was in Sudan, wasn't she? Yes, Sudan. She, as yeah. you just said. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was a really great chat. I really enjoyed it. Maybe one of our most serious chats in some places. It got yeah. very adult. I really I liked, liked it. it. I really liked it too. She's so clever. She's so intelligent, and yeah. her film analysis is incredible. I'm kind of a little bit in awe. And yeah, she pointed us in, in, in the direction of some really cool stuff. Um, like I, I'm definitely going to go and check out that uh, that Train Spotting Two review yeah. um, that she mentions. Yeah, we're going to have a look at that. But yeah, it's really it was really really good. I really enjoyed it, and some really yeah. great movie choices too. Things that that are very different from the other choices we've had. Like, yeah, I, I've more adults seen... maybe. Well, yeah, yeah, maybe. But we are adults, Dave. <laughs> Oh yeah, I forget that sometimes. <laughs> I'd not seen before Sunset before, and I really enjoyed that movie. I re- I'm really glad that Layla came on because I'm so glad I've got that movie in my life now because I would never have thought about it before. It was one of I, I was expecting at some point to pop up, and I was amazed that it hadn't already because a lot of people, you know, clamber over that that trilogy in particular. Mm. And oh, it's so good, isn't it? Uh, it's been it a while really since is. I've seen it. I love talky-talky films, and it's like that, and just well-written character pieces, and Ethan Hawke and that is so good, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Really enjoy watching it, really enjoyed going back to it. Great choice. Transporting 2, I don't hate as much as her, but now I think I do, because she sold me on it. Yeah. It's, it's bad. She's so convincing. So convincing. I didn't think it was good before, but I didn't hate it. Now I think it's pretty poo. <laughs> but I think it'll be quite divisive, because I think there are people out there that really love it. Yeah, right, yeah, you know, I think it's some people would, you know, even put out there as one of their favourite sequels, but mm. I can't see it myself. But yeah, yep. def- definitely sold on on hating it. And then Red, White, and Blue, uh, Small Axe, Steve McQueen film. What an interesting choice! I never would have thought of that. A brilliant choice, a really brilliant choice, because it is a great movie, and it was sort of because it was show it was on TV. It was a kind of a that was on the BBC rather than mm. a, you know releasing cinemas and stuff. Then people might overlook it, but you know it is a great movie. Yeah, and I didn't know about the next part of the guy's life, so sign no. me up for that sequel. Absolutely. And John Boyega is amazing, and oh, Steve McQueen John Boyega is so good in it. So that's great. Shall we uh, sell ourselves now? Yeah, of course. And then we'll wrap this up. Love that bit. Uh, <laughs> you can check us out on social media. We are on Twitter at unequal sequel we're on instagram at unequal sequel and you can also send us an email to unequal sequel at hotmail.com mm. and yeah but also if you want to listen to us which you you know how to listen to us already because you're listening to this one but if you want to, li- to listen to us again you can find us at all the normal places all the itunes and your spotify's and your googles and places like that but if you do and you like what you hear if you could just give us a little five star review maybe even say a few nice words about us that would be lovely that would be really nice and if you like what you hear and you'd like to hear a little bit more just click that little subscribe button oh you know, do that then then we'll get then you'll get every episode of 
nonsense that we talk about movies yeah. straight straight to you. You won't even have to worry about hunting for it. What a great idea, Rich. You really yeah. nailed that. I know, right? Cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, carry on listening. Thank you for listening to this one. Uh, and if you're going to listen to others, thank you for listening to the others. That's all from me. Anything else from you, Rich? No. No, I'm done. Cool. <laughs> so thank you for listening. Uh, bye-bye from me. And a bye-bye from him. Bye! Have a good week. Bye.